house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. People who get the calls are good. Not flashy, good. Boom, boom, boom. Three in the head, you know they're dead. It's a good motto. There's the hitman. This is probably my last job. To a successful transaction. The used car dealer. We can't come to the phone right now because we're out making a sale. The soap opera star. I just know that there's something really special out there for me. And then there's Betty. Betty is in love with Dr. Right. Ravel from the show. I'm trading you the car dealer for a heart surgeon. The woman who's chasing her dream. How are you going to find him? I'll go to the hospital. While everyone else is chasing her. So what they say? Hello and welcome to the This Hat Oscar Bus podcast, the only podcast that no sexy time with you no more. You're too old. Every week on This Hat Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy and bad Russian dialects. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my Dreamboat Soap Doctor co-host, Joe Reed. Well, hello. I uh, I have to separate these two uh, conjoined twins and then meet up with my long-lost ex- wife and her evil twin joe why is everyone calling you david (laughs) oh i love i love soap tropes when they are done well but i think i also love a soap trope when it's done this sort of like um dramatically like this is this all feels very um tootsie and soap dish like the way that they presented soap (laughs) operas which was just like the most extreme and strange version of them which like i'm sure back in the 80s that's what they were like so i love soap tropes that allow elizabeth mitchell to be on my screen (gasps) i was so surprised i was not ready for her i was you should not be surprised that it took me all of two seconds to bring up elizabeth mitchell who (laughs) i love my beloved juliet from lost Dearly departed. Here's what I found the most surprising in this movie was that I could not recognize Naomi Watts in the role of Betty in this movie. Like, truly, (laughs) I thought, like, her greatest transformation yet is her lead role in this movie. that's, That's who we were watching, right? We are indeed on the other end of our Naomi Watts miniseries, wrapped up last week with St. Vincent, and now we're back to regular programming, and Joseph, we have a guest with us here today. We sure do. I'm very, very excited to welcome our guest this week. He is a film publicist, all-around movie savant. I'm very, very, very excited to get to the IMDb at the end of this episode, because uh, I feel like he is perhaps our best-equipped guests to take it on because every time i just every there's i can't remember the last time i mentioned a movie and you hadn't seen it so like truly um everybody uh out there welcome rob sheer welcome rob hi guys excited to be here very excited very excited to have you here yeah i think um i can't remember on what episode 
uh, we were talking about the, the later forgettable films of Rob Reiner. And I was like, who did I go see that terrible Michael <laughs> Douglas, Diane Keaton movie with? And I was just like, right, okay, Rob. And it's because when on those occasions when we're just like, we should go see a movie and it's just like, well, what haven't we, what's, what's a movie that neither one of us has seen yet. And the pickings become very slim, very quickly. And it gets very interesting. I don't discriminate. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, but we are thrilled to have you here, of course, to talk about nurse Betty, which, uh, is a movie that I had remembered fondly. And Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you're you're the one who sort of came to me with this suggestion, and I'm curious as to what it was about Nurse Betty that made you want to discuss it on our podcast. That's a great question. Um, this movie just made a very strong impression on me when I was younger. Um, I didn't quite know what to expect. The trailers were extremely confusing. Um, I was familiar with Neil Labute. I'd seen his previous films, which were pretty intense for me at that time, but I but I liked them. Um, and didn't really have an idea of what this was other than that it was clearly different. Um, I, I would read lots yeah. of movie reviews when I was younger. And I remember uh, Stephen Holden's review in the New York Times where he called this something like the best American comedy uh, since Flirting with Disaster, which was another movie that I really, really loved uh, as a kid and still do. Um, and I just went to see it opening weekend. Uh, and, you know, stylistically, it's pretty straightforward, but there just were all these different competing elements and tones. And I just felt like I had never seen anything like it. I mean, I think at at that time we were still in the period where anything that had violence and comedy was still compared to Pulp Fiction, but this just felt like its own (laughs) unique thing. It's own own unique thing to me. I saw it three or four times in the theater. I kept bringing people back, uh, all of whom were fairly baffled. Um, and <laughs> it's just been, it's been many, it's always a good reaction to get from people you bring to a theater. To yeah. Why, why are you taking me to this? Um, but it, it's, <laughs> it's, it'd been many years since I'd seen it until I rewatched this week, but I always remembered it very fondly. And it was always something that I recommended to people when they were asking for movies that they might not have seen. And I think it's a really f- fascinating, Im- important movie for Renee Zellweger. And it's by far my favorite performance. Oh, of hers. oh. Deep. Totally. Yeah. This is like the the sea change for her. This performance, um, in terms of like being an outside performer of like why is she not being considered for something like Jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. and then basically the entire Oscar campaign for this movie is kind of like falls on her shoulders and this performance. And I think the movie, to the degree that it works, works because of her performance. Um. Yeah, absolutely. This is instrumental for uh, Renee Zellweger in terms of an Oscar player, but like we never talk about this movie anymore. No, it's very true that it's it's really fallen through the cracks, which is so funny because like she came incredibly close to getting her first Oscar nomination for this movie. She won mm-hmm. the Golden Globe for it. We'll obviously get into that. And then uh, I think sort of universally everybody understood that her nomination kind of got nipped by... Juliette Binoche mm-hmm. in Chocolat. Everybody at the time kind of took that movie as being kind of muscled in by Harvey Weinstein. It was the sort of, you know, too light to hang with movies like Traffic and, and Crouching mm-hmm. Tiger. And Nurse Betty really sort of like quickly got forgotten. Well, by, by that logic, are you um, assuming that Renee was number six? I think so. That's I think sort of it's what I've always assumed. She was number six. 
Who were the other co- uh, contenders that year? I, New York for Dancer in the Dark? New York was never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, when I just some informal discussions I've been having, the general consensus seems to be Bjork and Michelle Yeoh. Um, but I have a hard time imagining either of those happening. I think those are those are things that the people discussing that maybe would have done themselves. Right. I think Bjork did get the Golden Globe nomination, and like there was uh, that song was nominated for the Oscars. So clearly, like that movie was in mm-hmm. the discussion. But, but I think Chris, you're probably more right about uh, it. It being farther off of voters' plausibility radar than than we assume. Uh, she mm-hmm. she was nominated in drama for Golden Globe, right? Despite that movie literally being yeah. a right, musical. Right, that movie being a legit musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sort of further uh, further goes down the Golden Globe categorization route because uh, with you know drama versus comedy, which is just like, is this movie sad or happy? Right. <laughs> if it's sad, <laughs> it's a drama. If it's in any way makes you happy, then it's then it counts as a comedy. And it's like, okay, that's, I, I just don't know if Bjork was ever going to happen. I feel like all the people who wanted to yeah. support an insane, depressing movie all went towards Ellen Burstyn. Right. Yes. I mean, Ellen Burstyn is a screen legend doing the type of thing on screen that we'd never seen her before do before. I think, uh, you know, it has like kind of that virtuoso um, element to it. And like Ellen Burstyn is always happy to give an interview mm-hmm. um, to my memory. Yeah. She did like a lot of press for that movie. She's a former Oscar winner. Like there's there's, yeah. you know, there was far fewer barriers to entry. Uh, and I think that. and as and I think the, the, I think the best performance of that year personally burst in 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 requiem yeah she's very good we've talked about this best actress race before where it's like you kind of can flip a coin and or for me i have said i you could flip a coin and i have a different pick each year but Mm -hmm. like having rewatched aaron brockovich recently because it's like the most comforting Mm -hmm. quarantine movie um i just it's like every single beat for julia roberts in that movie is just fucking sensational yeah um but like ellen burston not a bad pick for that and i am of course a laura linney uh devotee but yeah i think that's it's an incredible category one of the best we've had we're sort of getting a little bit ahead of things with talking about oscars rob because you being a first-time guest here on our show we tend to ask our first-time guests to talk about what we've been referring to as their oscar origin story Mm -hmm. sort of like what what was your first uh experience with noticing the oscars were like caring uh however deeply you care about the oscars yeah um I started caring, I would say, uh, the the Unforgiven year. Uh, I I didn't actually watch uh, the Oscars at at that point, but I very excitedly would read in the newspaper the next morning uh, who won and try to see as many of those films as my parents would allow me to see. I think I didn't watch a full ceremony until um, the, the 1996 Oscars, where I had seen a lot of those films. I loved Fargo. I loved Jerry Maguire. I loved Shine. Um, I hadn't seen Secret. Nice. I hadn't seen Secrets and Lies or The English Patient, um, but I watched. I watched those awards over and over again on VHS. Uh, I loved Billy Crystal's Oscar medley. Um, I loved his monologue, even though there were so many jokes I didn't understand. I mean, he he makes a 
joke. Right. He makes a joke about how violent Fargo is and calls the Coen brothers Eric and Lyle. Uh, my parents had to explain <laughs> explain that to me. Um, it's so fun going back at, to look at those old Oscar monologues, uh, his and Whoopi's also, because Whoopi's were yeah. often very topical. And there's all these references to various like politicians going through scandals and some of them you remember like obviously like all the Lewinsky jokes you remember why they were there but like Whoopi's talking about like various like senators and congressmen whatever and I'm just like I didn't even remember that person was a deal and it's and all this stuff about um well 96 uh so much talk would have been about like Bob Dole and how much right uh, he was sort of like public enemy number one in Hollywood and it's very, very funny to go back. But yeah, Eric and Lyle seems like the straight down the middle Billy Crystal. Joke. Yeah, I don't that's, know anything about perfect. these guys, but their movie's violent. Um, and I and I think right. I think I watched Cuba Gooding Jr.'s acceptance speech over and over again. Um, that was really so wonderful for me when I was a kid. And I I just really wanted that thing you do to win best original song. Uh, but yes, yeah, same. <laughs> but that that was my first year where I watched the full ceremony, and then shortly after became obsessed. That's awesome. Have you ever seen? I imagine you have the the video on YouTube. So that's Cuba Gooding Jr.'s Oscar acceptance speech from the uh, from the control booth of the the director of the Oscars, like calling all the shots what? and whatever. And no. Uh, oh my God! It's so. I'm sending you a link to it once we're done, and uh, you can I watch need it. To it's, see this. It's so exciting. It's so, like, halfway through, because all of a sudden, like, Cuba sort of, like, starts kind of, like, mellow and whatever, and then the music starts picking up to play him off, and he, like, snaps to attention and just, like, I gotta get all this shit in, and he just, like, obviously, as we've all seen, um, just starts, like, shouting out names and whatever, and, like, as this is all ramping up, the control room is just, like, going absolutely fucking nuts, and they're like, cut to Tom! Cut to, um... Uh, George Foreman and Muhammad Ali were in the audience uh, for um, the documentary When We Were Kings. Right. The, um... Everybody's like standing up to applaud, and the director's like, "Cut to Foreman, oh. cut to Ali, cut to Cruz, like whatever." I remember. It's I remember it's Woody Harrelson cool. going crazy. Um, like, yeah. like they cut to Woody Harrelson, like waving his hands in the air, um, and, and, and cheering. It. It's a great moment. Yeah. It's a super, super, super great moment. Yeah. I want the control room footage of when Roberto Benini won. <laughs> I want to see just like the immediate Which time? into hell. Oh God. Yes. Uh, well, no, when he's like standing on his chairs. Uh, and... Who was he standing over Spielberg. at that moment? Is it anybody famous? I believe Spielberg, Spielberg. gives him a hand. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember either at the Oscars or the the um the SAG Awards or one of those uh, where he picks up Helen Hunt and like just sort of like spins her around and she was just like not ready or or eager to be picked up by this man. It's uh Roberto Benini truly is the Mimi I'm first of the Oscar race. Drag is not a contact sport. I also remember when um they did best foreign language film at the Oscars that year, and that's Sophia Loren is mm -hmm. um, opening the envelope. And again, everybody knew Life is Beautiful would win, and so they're like, why don't we get like the most glamorous Italian movie star to um, to hand out this award? And she opens the envelope, and someone from in the audience just goes... Roberto! Roberto! 
it's probably that's probably the most charmed I ever was by the Life is Beautiful Oscar story. And then everything else was just like talk about instant who've you talked about this, Chris, on our podcast before, the instant buyer's remorse of <laughs> Roberto Benini's Oscar win? The absolute second that he leapt to his feet for that best actor win immediate buyer's remorse everybody was just like yeah you know this is we all we all made this happen for this reason and yet like we're we're over it now oh yes we fell for this and we shouldn't have fallen for this (laughs) you know i and then he made that pinocchio movie i i remember liking that movie and i haven't seen it in 22 years so i'm just gonna leave it as that i like it right (laughs) it's an artifact did you see the pinocchio movie I did. I think I really hated it. Yeah, everybody really hated it. I never saw it. And now he's in another. Never, uh... He's in another Pinocchio movie now. Yes, I heard about this. Like, there should be a statute of limitations, something. <laughs> but anyway. he's Geppetto this time, right? Because right. he was Pinocchio. Oh, but he also directed that Pinocchio. Am he I crazy? Sure, he to sure think did. That? No, I think you're right. Yeah. The new Pinocchio is a Matteo Garoni movie. Mm-hmm. So... Oh boy. <laughs> Just right. murderous exactly. young it's, Pinocchio. It's been yeah. it's been seen and and liked, right? Didn't it? It, it played at a, a oh, festival. Yes. Yeah. Yes, oh. I believe Berlin. That, yes, I think that's right. Berlin, our final festival. <laughs> um, oh God! Remember film festivals? Um, truly, no. Speaking of which, I think we're talking about one of the few movies we've done on this podcast that played can. Mm-hmm. Watching and, this movie and this won time, won a prize at Cannes. The only it uh, won the screenplay prize. The only at American Cannes. movie to win a prize that year. And wow. it is absolutely wild to me watching this movie that it was accepted in competition. It's a little surprising because now, yeah. why? It's just because it's, of the the quality of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, but also. I guess maybe my memory of Labute at this time, you brought up his other movies, Rob, before this. Um, I wouldn't have thought that I didn't remember him as having like the type of critical prestige that would have gotten him in competition at Cannes. Well, so maybe it's like the selection committee was really taken with renee's performance i don't know we'll talk about labute when we get on the other side of the um plot description but i do feel like in the company of men had such an indie trajectory and it had played uh in certain regard i'm pretty sure um what uh in its year so i do feel like there was definitely a sense of labute as being sort of an ascendant and um kind of edgy dangerous filmmaker most almost entirely for his subject matter for his films at the time and um not necessarily he's never been a too terribly stylistic director but it's interesting looking at rob you mentioned that uh nurse betty was the only american film to win a prize at Cannes that year and looking at the other American films that what the Coens had Oh Brother Where Art Thou in competition James Gray year James Gray had The Yards which is a movie that I feel like even though it played can it really the appreciation for that movie was a slow burn I feel like mm-hmm. so it doesn't super surprise me that that didn't win anything at can I think Oh Brother was seen positively but still sort of as a kind of a step back from something like Fargo. I remember so. response to that being pretty mixed um, out of Cannes. Yeah. 
Um, and even now, like I like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, but it is almost never going to be the Coen's movie that I just like decide to fire yeah. up. On, sure, I uh, kind of despise it. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Tell me more about that. I I mean I haven't seen it in a long time, but I just remember being so like. I don't know. Grossed out by like the vibe of it. Not like physically grossed out, but just being like, I don't want to watch that. Like, I don't know. Maybe I would feel differently and more in touch with the like misanthrop- misanthropy of it, you know? Yeah. Um, but speaking of outside of the, or, or people, the actresses that maybe just missed the top five, I mean, there was a ton of them that launched. At, I mean, Dancer in the Dark was that year at Cannes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon uh, was that year, and Requiem for a Dream uh, screened out of competition that year. So all of all of those ladies, uh, those I movies think were it played like yeah. Midnight. Uh, I'm not sure. I just know out of competition. Wow! Also screening out of competition, Brian De Palma's Mission to Mars. <laughs> Two months after it <laughs> opened, yeah. <laughs> oh, is that another uh, after it opened? That's so yeah, Disney. Maybe it was, it was a, the opener or something. Disney used their muscle to get get that in there two months later. Oh boy, good for them. Stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good that's a really good um, can year though. Dancer in the Dark, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, as you mentioned, In the Mood for Love was in competition. Edward Yang's Yee Yee. Mm-hmm. Yes, Yee Yee, which was like a huge. I remember that was a big. Um, uh, big year-end awards kind of movie that that showed up on a lot of lists. What won the Palm? It was Dancer in the Dark. Dancer in the right? Dark, mm-hmm. very divisive Palm yeah. winner. Interesting. Anyway, before we get too far into this uh, episode, as is our custom, we uh, push. We should the get plot onto a sixty-second plot description. <laughs> we should. We should. So, as we mentioned, we're here to talk about Nurse Betty, directed by Neil LaBute, however not written by Neil LaBute. It's written by John C. Richards and Jason Flomberg, starring Renee Zellweger, Morgan Freeman, Chris Rock, Greg Kinnear, Allison Janney, um, a very skeezy Aaron Eckhart. Lots of things happening with the hair mm-hmm. on Aaron Eckhart's body in the year 2000 <laughs> on screen. Um, Tia Tassada, Crispin Glover, and my beloved Elizabeth Mitchell. As we yeah. mentioned, Nurse Betty premiered at Cannes, and then it opened uh, September 8th mm-hmm. of the year 2000. Rob, are you ready to give us a 60-second plot description uh, of Nurse Betty? Okay, this one has a lot of plot, but but yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, then your 60-second plot description of Nurse Betty starts now. Betty Sizemore is a Kansas waitress with dreams of being a nurse and an obsession with the soap opera A Reason to Love, featuring the character Dr. David Ravel, who's played by the actor George McCord, who is himself played by Greg Kinnear. Betty is married to a horrible man, a used car dealer Dell, played by Aaron Eckhart, who's vaguely mixed up in some sort of drug deal with two hitmen, played by Morgan Freeman and Chris Rock. Betty ends up witnessing the hitman scalping and killing Dell and goes into delusional shock, believing she's a character on A Reason to Love. She drives to L.A. to try to find Dr. David Ravel, not realizing there's heroin in the trunk of her car, so the hitmen follow her there, while Morgan Freeman falls in love with an idealized fantasy of Betty along the way. While at a charity dinner that she ends up at, Betty meets and charms George, who she thinks is David Ravel, while he thinks she's doing some method acting exercise. Thinking she wants a job, he brings her to the set of the show, which snaps her out of her delusion, and George freaks out on her just in time for the hitmen to arrive in L.A. There's a standoff. Freeman confesses his love for Betty. Chris Rock is shot, reveals he's Freeman's son, and dies. Freeman asks Betty to kill him. She refuses. He kills himself. Betty self-actualizes, ends up as an actress on A Reason to Love, goes to medical school, and takes a vacation to Rome. And that's time. You nice got it job. all in there. Fantastic. 
Okay, so Nurse Betty, surprisingly, not the first movie we've talked about with a scalping. <laughs> Wait, what was the other one? Uh, definitely The Missing. Definitely The Missing. You're absolutely right. God. I'm the only person who's, uh, you know, definitely that. Rob Howard, Ron Howard movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the other scalping movie was the Ron Howard movie, unsurprisingly so, yeah. I feel like we've maybe done another scalping movie. I, if if anybody thinks of it, let us know. I can't, I can't uh, search my, my brain files for that one at the moment. Um, definitely Ladies in Lavender, there was a scalping in that. Um, yes, oh, 100% sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> Several. Can we? If those, the, those ladies really, like, Took it to Natasha McElhone, that's for sure. Um, can we use the scalping as a chance to talk about the violence in this movie? We sure can. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you brought up Pulp Fiction because, like, that does feel like, this does feel like third generation, the response to this movie, like a third generation to, like, comedy and violence as, like, yeah. a thing in the late 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. I just... I, I remember the scalping scene, I think, is, is probably the scene that if anybody remembers anything from this movie, that's probably the sequence that they remember um, yeah. just because it's it, it, the, the tones and stories in this movie are crashing into each other constantly. And it was marketed as a very upbeat kind of fish out of water, wacky comedy. Right, I, right. Look at this. This lady thinks Jesus is the soap star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. And that scalping scene, if you really watch it closely there's very little that's actually graphic and it's it's a couple of very quick shots but it seems to me mm-hmm. as i think every scene with violence in this movie seems like it was heavily edited down um well there's definitely that moment where you see very clearly chris rock with like a chunk of scalp in his hand mm-hmm. and i think that's where you're just like oh okay like we're just seeing this okay all right but it's it's very very brief um it, and it happens very very quickly yeah. and and really if you look at every scene of violence in the movie it feels like something is a little off um mm-hmm. the, scene, yes. the scene at the end of the movie with with chris rock getting shot the scene uh where they return to the bar to sort of harass harriet harris they sort of grab her, yeah. grab her arm and say you're not being forthcoming with us and then it just cuts away yes. and we never see them again um i just think there's a darker more violent cut of this movie and i i've never heard any stories about that but it just feels that way it would that absolutely makes a, make sense. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I think also, uh, Chris, when you mentioned that this is uh, directed by Neil, Neil Libute, but not written by him, which I believe this is the first film he directed that wasn't uh, written by him. And his two previous movies were um, Your Friends and Neighbors, or sorry, In the Company of Men, 1997, Your Friends and Neighbors, 1998. In the Company of Men was based on a play. I think Your Friends and Neighbors was written directly for the screen. And both of those movies, again, when I talk about like how LeBute had made his mark as this kind of edgy new director, um, I know In the Company of Men was a huge uh, indie spirits thing. I think he won best first film i think he the that one like best uh first film at new york film critics i think, Ec- I think Eckhart, Eckhart got some map. yeah Eckhart got some attention from mm-hmm. I think, absolutely and i think both of those movies become pretty notorious for this sort of darkness at its center and particularly a darkness in sort of like um 
sexual relationships and sort of sexual truths. Obviously, the big uh, scene in Your Friends and Neighbors is when Jason Patrick sort of describes uh, a gang rape that he took part in in this very kind of like oh, wow. sexually satisfied manner. Yeah, it's Th- like that's it's not the super, Jason Patrick scene I remember from that movie. I remember him him screaming at a woman for, for getting period blood on his sheets. That that's the that's the scene I remember. There's a lot of yes, there's a lot of that kind of um I think as Labute's career goes on, it becomes a sense of him being sort of in love with this idea of these uh taboo breaking situations with uh men and women kind of like telling the shocking deep dark awful things of what they've done in their lives and so i think he's had he's sort of cultivated through these first two films this reputation for darkness and edginess and it's interesting that he comes across this screenplay not written by him about this woman who sort of dissociates and thinks she is a character in a soap opera. And I can see Labute being like, okay, but like, how can we like really rough this up? And ends up with a whole lot of like violence in it, which like, obviously like the scalping's going to be in that script. Like this, uh, this is stuff that's like in the movie, but I do feel like the tone of it, Rob, you mentioned the sort of like clashing tones of it mm-hmm. does somewhat feel like a director wanting to sort of like ratchet up the violence in what is ultimately this story about a woman sort of lost within herself and within her, you know, the life she lives versus the life she wants. Yeah. I mean, Morgan Freeman and and Chris Rock genuinely feel like they're in a separate movie from her that, that occasionally intersects. Like they have very different tones. They feel like they're in a violent thriller and she is in this sort of like, delightful comedy except for when she intersects with you know scalping or a shootout at a hospital (laughs) and even within that i think because of the relative disparity in the skill levels of freeman and chris rock like not to like disparage chris rock but certainly at this stage of his Mm -hmm. career he was not a he was not an actor on morgan freeman's level i think we can pretty safely say that and so freeman i think is acting the hell out of this role and doing like such a good job and really like putting you know shades of gray into this character and, really and wonderful building him build, it's a really... performance out of a better movie i think too because like his whole thing of essentially mirroring like betty's delusion in yeah. like creating this version of her that he falls in love with in his head and like yeah. imagines dancing with her like mm-hmm. uh, and like talks to her photo things like that it's it's this movie has a weird relationship with how whimsical it also wants to be because like you can kind of imagine like the Charlie Kaufman version or even the Alexander Payne version of what this script is or the Neil Butte version like, or yeah, or even the Neil Butte version that like leans into it. It's so like offhanded with like these with the character's delusion like in a way that like makes it not as funny but you also maybe don't buy it as much i don't know i feel like i ended up liking this movie better than you did or not ended up because i remember liking it back then too um but i i think you're right about the fact that this uh it is kind of all over the place and it is kind of it goes for a lot of different 
<laughs> a lot of covers a lot of grounds. Yeah, I would be really interested uh, to read the the screenplay for this um, and and see what, how it changed on its way to the screen. But uh, yeah. speaking yeah. of which, have you looked into these these screenwriters who won best screenplay at Cannes? Uh, no, tell I us about it. Them. The names are not familiar. Well, they, they One may of not them be. Has a story credit, and yeah. the other doesn't. So I am at, I figured there was definite like drafts being done yeah changes yeah. um james Flem- flamberg might not uh, have registered for you because he has never written anything else um and uh <laughs> wow. and all his other credits are as a music editor um for things as varied as rain man and bugsy and toys and the goonies and the color purple <laughs> Um, wow! All John C. Richards. He got his prize at Cannes and said, "I am done." <laughs> <I'm> done. <laughs> and John C. Richards has only uh, ever since then written Sahara, the Matthew McConaughey vehicle in 2005, sure, and the Al Pacino Paterno movie in 2018, and that's it. We definitely wow. remember those movies. <laughs> <laughs> they exist. In Paterno was pretty good. I definitely. I was going to say, I definitely saw Paterno. That was uh, Barry Levinson, right? Uh, I mean, aren't all of the Al Pacino HBO things? I, 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 I assume, say, yeah. The HBO, the HBO Al Pacino genre, uh, the uh, You Don't Know Jack, and um, what was the other one? But one of, Phil Spector. But one of them is um, uh, David Mamet, I want to say. Like, one of them is surprisingly oh. David Mamet directing. Yeah, co-writers on the Paterno... Um, on the Paterno movie are John C. Richards and Deborah Kahn, who is a name I know only as a TV writer. I believe she's written for Grey's Anatomy, but she also wrote the episode of The West Wing with um, Glenn Close playing the the prospective Supreme Court justice, which is like one of my very, very favorites. Um, let's see. You Don't Know Jack, the Jack Kevorkian movie, was indeed directed by Barry Levinson. And then Phil Spector which I believe came later. Yeah, Phil Spector was in 2013, written and directed by David Mamet. Wow. <laughs> that... T- Mamet's interesting. I mean, Mamet's interesting. But, like, Mamet, uh, Mamet I tend to compare to Labute in terms of their film careers and just the way of just, mm-hmm. like, a lot of stuff, in that like, 80 or 90% of their stuff their movies is just like yes of course that's like that's a david mamet movie absolutely that's absolutely a nearly butte movie but then like the butte will have things where he's just like he directed lakeview terrace he directed the um, wicker man the remake. wicker man remake <laughs> right Not exactly the, uh, the death at a funeral right. uh remake uh reuniting with chris rock yes. yes yeah yeah which i've never seen is that any good no <laughs> okay <laughs> He also directed uh, the very first Focus Features movie, Possession. Is that with, the very uh, first Focus Gwyneth. Features wow. movie? Wow. Yes, it was. Yeah, and, and uh, Gwyneth and uh, and once again, Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart's kind of the uh, his muse, as it turns out. The, the one well, I remember... Even Nurse Betty. Nurse Betty was one of the final USA Films films. But when I rented it to watch, they even replaced the USA Films logo now with the Focus Features. Oh, yes. You know, yes. yes. Yeah, USA Films. Cell activation noise, uh, the Focus Features right. logo. What was, what was it before USA Films? It was... Polygram? Is that wrong? Polygram? I think that's right. I think it went from Polygram to USA Films to uh, Focus. God. God, I love Focus. Um, the one Labute movie that I remember seeing in the theater and having like 
big expectations for was The Shape of Things, which mm-hmm. was another one that's based on a play of his, which uh, starred Paul Rudd and Rachel Weisz. Rachel Weisz as this like very cruel and calculating woman who sees this schlumpy version of Paul Rudd and wants to mold him into someone attractive and yet also cruel. There's a lot of sort of like... Um, almost like dangerous liaisons vibes there where she's going to sort of like play puppet master and turn him into this um, sort of attractive, but, but bad (laughs) person. And then Gretchen mall plays, um, you know, this other friend of his, I think who maybe he Mm -hmm. has romantic designs on. I can't remember. She essentially like sets them up to have an affair. Right. Cause she's seeing, um, uh, this other guy, Fred Weller, by Fred Weller. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and meanwhile, I remember being the whole like, time Paul Rudd has enough agency that, like, if he didn't yes. want to already be that person, he could say no to her. So it's like she never forces him to do any of this. She right. just like creates a situation where he can make the choice to be a bad person. And it's one of those movies that even if you didn't know going in that it was based on a play, watching it. You're just like, oh my god, this is abs. This absolutely was a play because it essentially mm-hmm. stops in its own uh, in its own tracks by the end of it, and like faces the audience and and sort of challenges the audience to you know redefine your perceptions or whatever. Like it's very much it's a one of those like confrontational movies about just like aren't you the the <laughs> villain in this all along for wanting Paul Rudd to be attractive and and this all. It, and it's the, they were all in the in the play as well, right? If it was like directly after they they mm-hmm. wrapped that production, they immediately oh, yeah? shot the movie. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. His plays, I will say, I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen a Neil Lebute play on the on the stage, partially because most of his stuff happened before, or at least most of his higher profile stuff happened before I moved to the city, but also. The trend with Neil Butte plays for me, in my experience, is they always attract these incredible casts. Mm-hmm. Like the casts for his plays are always full of actors I'm familiar with and excited to see and whatever. And then by the time it gets to the point that I would buy a ticket to go see it, I've heard from like six or seven people that it's terrible, and I'm just like, well, then it's too much money for me to spend on something everybody's telling me is bad. So uh, I end up not seeing it. But they're always incredibly, incredibly these high profile casts in, in his plays. And I think they're for the most part, pretty interesting, but I I can't claim to have seen them all. They, they all tend to be very sort of idea forward, right? Where it's just like, I have something to say. Often with a twist at the end relationships. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And like a lot of them, again, as I mentioned with like in the company of men and uh, your friends and neighbors, where it's just sort of just like, here is me telling this story about the time I like killed a baby or the time I, you know, whatever, like raped an acquaintance. And it's just at some point that became less of a calling card for him and more of a uh, sort of a call to self-parody a little bit in terms of the way mm-hmm. that he was received critically. He tries to push buttons, especially gender dynamic buttons, that it's like, okay, like some of this is interesting, but also like you stand back and you take in the collective of everything and you're like, you might not be a nice guy. <laughs> you might be kind of... Well, uh, 
Yeah. He's he's the kind of person who's going to write a play called Fat Pig about someone dating a plus-size woman and it's just like, "Oh, it seems like I'm being disgusting about it, but really isn't this all about how you as a member of society treat these people?" And it's right. just like, "Okay. All right, Neil. I get it." Like it's also very shocking. Well, he also wrote a play called Rex, uh, W-R-E-C-K-S, that I believe is a just a one-man show that's a monologue by Ed Harris uh, eulogizing uh, his wife. And then, uh, spoiler alert, the twist at the end is that the wife is also his mother, and the Rex has a double meaning. Oh, ah. it's Oedipus. I get it. I get it. Wow. As soon as you said Rex and decided to spell it out, I'm like, wait a second. Is that what's going on? I was like, oh, okay. Um, God, Neil Butte. Yeah, I can't, uh... Also very, uh, shocking and button-pushing and we'll yeah. get it, Neil, yeah. we'll get it. But back to Nurse Betty, though, <laughs> which I think, like, the Butte of it all is certainly, like, was a part of why this movie had a lot of expectations. But really, I think the story here, both in the movie and, like, around the movie, is Renee Zellweger. Because, as Chris mentioned at the top of the, the episode, this comes on the heels of, you know, several years after Jerry Maguire, but like Jerry Maguire really started that ball rolling of not only Zellweger as like a movie star, but also somebody who really does like have the chops for it. And it's just like, I think by the time we got to Nurse Betty, she almost gets the Oscar nomination. And I think a lot of people were just like, yeah, it's that's it's time. Like she's arrived at that point where we are now sort of expecting what's going to be the Oscar movie out of her. I think One True Thing is a big part of that because right. she stars opposite mm-hmm. Meryl and she does it better than Meryl in that movie. I was going to say, it's not like she gets like swallowed up by Meryl in that movie. She has, and she's got a very difficult role, yeah. which is the daughter whose mother is dying, but she's still a bitch about yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's that's like, thing. oh, okay. I, you know, I think she made an attempt to distance herself from the the kind of role she played in in Jerry Maguire. You know, she plays a Hasidic Jew in uh, uh, A Price Above Rubies, and right, she's quote right. unquote unlikable uh, in 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 One True Thing. You know, she did that generic uh, The Bachelor with with Chris O'Donnell, but but Nurse Betty is kind of like a return to her sort of playing a a lovable charming character. Yeah. It's 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 impressive to me that she ends up pulling as much agency into her Nurse Betty character as she does because this is a movie that sort of repeatedly kind of takes her out of her own story where it's just like they have her kind of like go into this dissociative state but even like at the beginning of the movie she's like she's spaced out watching this soap like pours coffee for morgan freeman like without even looking at him she's like so used to doing her job while like not really paying attention to doing her job so like this is a character who is very much um kind of out of like not present in her own life and Mm -hmm. i think zellweger does such a good job of playing a character like that without like um, having her kind of float away and just like a believability factor at least i mean you don't maybe believe the concept as the movie presents it but just from the performance like she's tasked to do something that could be very silly right or like yeah make her seem like a buffoon but like you actually kind of believe it on a human level um and it's also still funny 
So it's like, I think there's a high degree of difficulty in what she's doing here that maybe she didn't really have in like the Jerry Maguire movie mm-hmm. movies yeah. or like uh, even One True Thing, which is like very emotional. It definitely established the Oscar narrative like for her, as you were, were saying. But like this movie basically bleeds into Bridget Jones for me, which ends up being her first nomination the very next year yeah but hugh grant presents her her golden globe to her about two two uh two, three months before that movie the golden globe the movie opens the very next month um yeah unless maybe those globes were in february because that was a valentine's day movie and like to the point where i think bridget jones is partly why we forget about this movie in the renee zellweger narrative a little bit or we just don't talk about it because it's so immediate um right and here, she just like here's a hypothetical maybe we can chew on for a second if renee because obviously with starting with bridget jones she's nominated three years in a row culminating in the win for cold mountain mm-hmm. if she wins or if she does get nominated for nurse betty do we think she ends up winning for Chicago because that is her third consecutive nomination and the momentum sort of like moves everything up yes. a year? Or are we still are we still waiting for it when it comes to Cold Mountain? I think she wins for Chicago. Yeah. I think she would win for Chicago because that was actually she came close very won the SAG. Yeah. She had won the SAG. Yeah. So in that case then, who wins supporting actress in two thousand? Shorey Agdashlu. Shorey. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to think about. And then maybe Nicole does end up getting nominated. I still think Charlize wins for Monster. Oh, yeah. What. But like, it's interesting because like, I think at this, like, by 2020, Nicole Kidman would have an Oscar no matter what. But like, what would it be for if she hadn't won for the hours? That's interesting to think about. I mean, maybe there could have been a case made for Rabbit Hole to be the mm-hmm. winner. But like, I don't think Natalie Portman was ever not going to win that. Um, I also think it maybe changes the roles she takes. That's possibly true. Or that birth gets like a different kind of a reception. I don't know. Like there's a lot of like that, that particular what if universe really spiders out in some interesting directions. I feel like. Yeah, it's tough. I'm looking over her. I don't know that she had gotten nominated for her best performances. So, I mean, I, 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 her nominations are a little odd. They're not what she would expect it to be given who she is. God lying. I, I think maybe if she hadn't, um, one by that point she might have gotten that paperboy nomination <laughs> she was working for it but i also because but like after she wins the oscar for the hours it does seem like she makes a concentrated effort to take on more uh sort of risky less um mainstream even on like the oscars mainstream like she just takes these roles that aren't really ultimately going to get her that kind of attention because I think on some level yeah. she knows she doesn't need it. She, she already got it. You know, she's got her Oscar. She doesn't need to, you know, chase that anymore. So all of a sudden she can take a role in birth. She can take a role in fur in, um, I'm trying to think of the others. Margo at like, the wedding. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if she's still chasing Oscar after the hours, the roles sort of, um, she takes maybe one or two more, uh, you know, Fox Searchlight roles. She's made a uh, lot of movies, you mm-hmm. guys. I'm looking at this. 
She's made a, she works a lot. Like, that lady works. A lot of movies that... Yeah. This is the thing about Renee Zellweger, is, like, in this period, Renee Zellweger made a lot of movies, and now, like, this year when she came back, it was like, oh, yes, we haven't seen you in years. But, like, yeah. when Renee Zellweger talks about this period of, like, never taking a break, it's kind of wild. I mean, like... Yeah. There are people who get nominated three years in a row, but, like... I don't know. It just felt like that is pretty rare. Three years in a row, I think, is I I can only think of Renee Glenn Close who lost three years in a row. Um, like that's a tough feat to pull to like stay in Oscars good graces for that long. And she also was making I other movies. I kind of movies, think too. to your hypothetical. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. her the other movie in two thousand, which I always think is very funny, is uh, Me Myself yeah. and Irene, which makes me wonder when she, she won dated the Golden Jim Carrey. Globe, I was going to say, when she won the Golden Globe for Nurse Betty, where she and Jim Carrey together, does she thank Jim Carrey from the stage? I want to go with her. The empty seat that they show, she does not. if you go back and watch that acceptance speech, is next to Soderbergh. Not to say she was dating Soderbergh, but like she wasn't with like well, that's uh, the f- Nurse Betty people. Well, I, that's Nurse Betty's only nomination uh, at that Globes, am I correct? Uh-huh, yes, but that's, wasn't that same year also Traffic, which was also USA Films? I was yes. going to say, yes. Yeah, so like, if you're uh, the so lone... she would have just been yeah. the te- at the USA Films table. Yeah. If you're the only nominee from your movie at the Globes, it's always very interesting to see where they put you, and often it is uh, on a studio-by-studio studio basis. It's an interesting category she wins that year because obviously she beats Binoche <laughs> in Chocolat, even though Binoche ends up going on to the Oscar nomination, which is a little bit shades of Madonna beating Frances McDormand uh, for Evita, which <laughs> would have been a few years before this. And then obviously McDormand goes on and wins the Oscar anyway. And so it was like, sorry, Golden Globes, you tried it. Um, uh, and the other ladies in that category were Zellweger never beat- coming close, right? Or, or did Tracy Ullman get a SAG nomination? Oh, right. Am I making that up? I don't think okay. so. I I I might go look up the SAG nominees that year, but I have a feeling no. Um it's Binoche, it's Brenda Blethyn for Saving Grace, <laughs> which I don't think really showed up very much the rest of that Oscar season. Sandra Bullock for Miss Congeniality, which is like a classic Globes. We are going to honor a good performance in a mainstream comedy from an actual comedic oh. actress. Like we'll do that, like once in the who I believe was the favorite to win. Oh, is that true? I mean, it was 20 that's years ago, but that's how I remember it. Because the of the movie, movie because made a ton such a of money. It sure did. And the other thing about Chocolat is it took some time for Chocolat to like make its money because it stayed in theaters forever. Yeah, that's that was a movie where you could tell like they were bound and determined to make that movie like America's Sweetheart. And it kind of worked in that like, even in that like semi-ironic way where Chocolat kind of became very briefly... um shorthand for arty sort of like i'm gonna go see an arty movie i remember there was like a will and grace joke right. about that movie at the it's time missing that e and i was just like oh okay what's it's that? missing that e so it's you know arty yes exactly so it sounds very it sounds very european it sounds very sort of like fancy sophisticated but also in a way it sounds silly so it's a good um it's a good joke in that way and then yeah small time crooks which got like a bunch of precursor stuff for i want to say uh elaine elaine may one got a bunch of like supporting actors. elaine may won the national society of film critics yes that's what it was and and so the globes don't have a supporting actress in a comedy category so uh ullman ultimately ends up as the lead actress uh, getting that nomination for the globes 
But yeah, and then Brenda Blethyn and her weed movie, it's a cute movie, Saving Grace, which right. I I find it offensive that the movie's not called Smoking Grace. <laughs> right. If right. she indeed plays someone named Grace. She does. Um, I imagine it's got to be her name in that, right? Grace. Yeah, she does. Yes. It's a buddy movie Who with her and Greg Ferguson. Craig Ferguson, excuse me. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's does interesting. Does she deal weed or does she just smoke she weed? She deals. She grows it, right? Yeah, her yeah, Fantastic. she's um her husband leaves her owing a lot of money to the government or gonna lose the house or something, so she has to start growing weed in her garden. From the director of, unsurprisingly, Waking Dead Divine. Calendar Girls oh. <laughs> and uh, uh not Waking Dead Divine, although that would also make a ton of sense. No, Calendar Girls and Made in Dagenham, which oh. just like that's sort of the trilogy Fantastic. of uh women. Uh, finding ways to get by, you know, and make money in this world by hook or by crook. And it's either you sell weed, you make a cheesecake calendar, or you unionize. And I like that. I like that about uh, the Nigel Cole universe. The cheesecake calendar, you said? Yeah, that's that's the whole thing, right? Is that yeah, they're, like, the... they're like tar- tarting up for uh, for a calendar. Covering not like literal naughty cheesecake. bits with cakes. I see. was not familiar with that term. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting globes year overall as i sort of like scroll down through it obviously um i remember kate hudson winning supporting actress not even nominating yep. eventual oscar winner marcia gay harden Catherine zeta jones does get the nomination for traffic which i honestly think was like very good and forward thinking of them like before because at that point Catherine zeta jones isn't really known as like a critically acclaimed actress she was in um the Zorro movie with Hell yeah. Antonio Banderas and like obviously that movie does well but I don't think any everybody was like looking forward to Catherine Zeta Jones as like an awards contender and then she's in Traffic she probably she probably was pretty close I think she's fantastic in that movie she that? had to have been sixth place it is kind of bizarre to me that she didn't get the Oscar nomination for that like she's the only like headlining woman in a very male movie that Oscar went crazy for yeah she uh, and Michael Douglas got snubbed that year because Michael Douglas was such a was so uh, expected to get a nomination for Wonder Boys and he got was the pretty shocking omission Um, for that movie that was Paul Pollock really snatched some wigs at that Oscar but, nomination. Work. He also was in the conversation for traffic, though. Do, do you remember which category they pushed him for? It had to have been supporting. I don't think they... Cause... No, because they, they gave that to Benicio Del Toro. I'm pretty sure they both went for lead, but I think we all kind of realized that the better performance was Wonder Boys, or at least the more different performance that would help him stand out was uh, Wonder Boys. And ben- well, and even with Benicio Del Toro, he wins the Globe and obviously the Oscar for Supporting Actor, but I'm pretty sure he was nominated as a lead at SAG. I, I, I thought he and won, I he yeah. Won I think SAG, he won right? lead. lead. He did, yeah. you're right. He did. Yeah, because Best Actor was very unsettled that year because you had Tom Hanks, who was probably like the critical champion of that year, but he'd already won twice. I don't think Hollywood was ready to give him that third Oscar at that point. So he gets nominated for Castaway, but that's sort of a nomination where he wins the Globe, but like everybody was pretty sure that he was probably not going to win the Oscar. Uh, Russell Crowe was in Gladiator, the prospective Best Picture winner. But I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people were like 
sort of looking down the road for him. He had the beautiful mind coming the next year and whatever. And the fact that he does win the Oscar always felt like they kind of threw up their hands and were just like, well, it's Russell Crowe. He's obviously like, you know, a big deal right now. Because Gladiator, for as much as that was obviously an Oscar contender, was still kind of viewed as sort of a blunt object. It was an action movie that opened in May. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Um, And then Douglas gets the snub on nomination morning. So like Jeffrey Rush for Quills is nominated. That's never going to really win. And Ed Harris for Pollock, which was like the nomination was definitely the reward there. And I remember at the time, I think it was a red carpet interview where... Russell Crowe, or maybe it wasn't after the ceremony thing, but Russell Crowe mentions that, like, if I had $100 to put on this category, I'd put it on Javier Bardem for Before Night Falls. And part of that was sort of, like, self-effacing, like, whatever. But it was, I do remember that there was a little bit of a, um, like, Javier Bardem's, this up-and-coming sort of, like, next big thing, and maybe enough voters will sort of like siphon away and the split between Hanks and Crow would allow Bardem to win. So that category was kind of up in the air up until the moment they opened the envelope. I remember thinking Tom Hanks was going to win. He's very good. It's very good in that movie. Tom Hanks deserved it. But Castaway didn't really get anything else, right? See, the thing is he probably could have won if the movie itself had been more taken seriously by Oscar. Right. um, And like considered in like, best picture conversations but like everything about that movie kind of fell on tom hanks's shoulders and he got a lot of like the credit for that movie which like makes sense it was like seen as a gamble can one man carry this whole movie he was Um, still overshadowed by a (laughs) co-star but yeah wilson wilson really really took all the credit for that movie that movie was also a huge like supporting someone i mean i know zemeckis has this you know his history obviously but that movie was sort of an unlikely gigantic hit i feel like that would have penetrated that picture mm-hmm. now yeah Go you ahead. could say the same thing about gladiator and it felt like gladiator got that credit more so than castaway did of being like not expected to be as big of a movie as it was right. well and gladiator also that was one of those things where gladiator and aaron brockovich both opened in the spring and then in the early fall We've talked about this before, about how all of the Oscar contenders turned out to suck. Like, Pay It Forward sucked, and <laughs> what do you um, mean? Bagger Vance sucked, and All the Pretty Horses sucked, and everybody was just like, what? Like, this entire Oscar year is kind of falling apart, and everybody was like, yeah, but like, remember back in the spring when we all loved Gladiator and Aaron Brockovich? Maybe those could be Oscar movies, and... Than they were, and then I think then at the end of the year, Crouching Tiger and um, and Traffic kind of like jumped back up into the conversation too. But Castaway, I remember the success of Castaway being like weirdly wrapped up in the success of Survivor that year, where everybody was just like, "We love an island, yes. we love a stranded on an island entertainment," and I was just like, "That's really kind of funny." But yeah, I guess so. Um, speaking of Aaron Brockovich. Uh, Nurse Betty was just a, a few months after Aaron Eckhart had like a a pretty like that was a pretty major uh, role for him. I mean, so many people had heard of him for the first time and fell in love with him in that movie. Um, and then in this, uh, he just is the most nightmarish, horrible 
human being with yeah with aaron eckhart's such an underrated with maybe the best entrance best character entrance in a movie i can remember in a long time uh, with his just his ankles bopping around on uh yeah on couch and just knocking things off the wall <laughs> uh that actress too sheila kelly misses uh richard schiff or at least was at the time um which brings me to of course alice and janney in this movie this was the first time I saw a movie with Alice and Janney in it and was like, oh, that's Alice and Janney because the West Wing had just completed, it was just beginning its second season when this movie, when Nurse Betty uh, premieres. And I think before that, she had been in American Beauty the year before, but like American Beauty opens like as the West Wing is like just premiering its first season. And I didn't really know, you know what I mean? I saw American Beauty still not really knowing who this this Alice and Janney is and and I think Drop Dead Gorgeous might have been also 99 was, yeah. and she was she was so she turns out to be this actress who once you know who she is you go back and just like oh she's in Primary Colors oh she's in Drop Dead Gorgeous oh she's in you know all these other movies she's this like character actress who's been working a bunch and I think if I was probably um a little bit older and had a little bit more sort of um experience watching movies back then I would have already known she would have been one of those like beloved character actresses who was like finally getting her due, and I'd been like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, Alice and Jenny." But as it was, like this was definitely the first movie where I was just like, "Oh, it's CJ from The West Wing." Like I love her. <laughs> She's good. She's good in this movie. I like how she has her little sort of moment of uh, getting her revenge on Kinnear, or sort of like get, giving him his comeuppance, and she looks like very satisfied with herself when he's just like oh, am I going to, like, how are you going to bring my character back? You're going to kill him, but you're going to bring him back. And she just sort of gives him this very, like, tight smile. And I was just like, yeah, like, that's... Yeah, that's I love good. their dynamic in this movie. It's very Soap Dish, kind of. Like, this movie never really gets quite as wacky as Soap Dish does. But I like that, that you know, the soap opera, the sort of semi-beleaguered soap opera writer behind the scenes. Writer and producer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what were you going to say, Chris? I was going to mention, do we think it's strange that it... Nurse Betty didn't get anywhere in terms of screenplay past the can win. I think it's a little odd that like it's not getting screenplay mentions or original screenplay mentions anywhere because the Oscar lineup for original screenplay almost famous obviously wins. It's Billy Elliot, Aaron Brockovich, You Can Count on Me, and Gladiator. Which like yeah, Gladiator getting that nomination I thought was was always a little bit strange. It's a little dubious, but like it's the eventual Best Picture winner. But you like so you can see why it's there. But like, but there is a history of sort of big spectacle action type Best Picture contenders that get shut out of screenplay because it's not that kind of a movie. Right. I like I'm thinking like Titanic, right. you know, Avatar, like that kind of thing. D- and it's not like the year is packed with competition, too. Like, um, the Writers Guild has the four that we endorse and not Gladiator. They replace Gladiator with Best in Show, which Best in Show, you could imagine being, like, sixth place. But, like, was Nurse Betty just constantly a sixth or seventh place screenplay well, nominee? Well, other than... I yeah, don't know. Other it's than, just, like, me and a, as a 14-year-old going to see this movie, like, four times in theaters, was was there a whole lot of... Like love and for, for for this movie throughout the season or did it just kind of go away after september it was a definitely a critical hit which usually can translate to screenplay yeah. right or at least in the history of like quirkier movies that succeed with oscar it might 
just be a screenplay. And also, um, especially and I in this era, I'm thinking of like election. Right. I, I think yeah. it's also just worth factoring in what we were talking about with them sharing the table at the at the Golden Globes. I think USA probably had their focus elsewhere. I mean, traffic traffic yes. very nearly yeah, won yes. Best Picture. Right. Yes. Yeah, and I think it was very easy for the Oscar buzz to coalesce around Renee on her own because she was a movie star. So she could sort of like, she could shoulder that, you know, all up by herself. You didn't really have to sort of prop up the rest of the movie around her to still have her as a contender. But yeah, um, the best in show thing, it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember at the time that had gotten buzz uh, later on, a mighty wind gets um, some Oscar buzz. And I always remember there was this sense of, Oh, but is it really a screenplay? Because there's, mm-hmm. you know, so much like improvising going on, or whatever. And I still feel frustrated that we couldn't, you know, ultimately that that sort of like weird technicality was what got people tripped up and what kept, you know, perhaps kept those movies from getting screenplay nominations, which is really are there mo- are there movies that fantastic. that were nominated in those instances where it was really just a treatment rather than than dialogue? I that's a, I mean, that's a good definitely. question. I, I don't know what the, I mean, it's, I don't know the example, but like, it does seem like we are more forgiving of this type of thing and improvisation now because I don't know that that always even irked me at that time because like, there's obviously a very clear structure. They go in with a concept. It's not like they just show up and start filming. Right. Um, well, and it's also the sort of the the other side of the coin of how is nineteen seventeen getting an editing nomination, right? You know what I mean, like that kind of thing, where it really becomes the sort of like bogged down in a little bit of a technicality, where it's just sort of you know our definitions of the skill being being awarded is what's tripping up, or in nineteen seventeen uh, 1970s, 1970s case didn't end up tripping up, but a lot of people thought it should have. Anyway, justice for best in show all these years later. 20 years, you guys. It's been 20 years since since Nurse Betty, since all the films have Wild. <sighs> this movie like definitely it. feels like it is 20 years old. <laughs> I don't know if some of the other movies that we're talking about feel that way. Chocolat is as fresh today as it was back then. I, uh... <laughs> See? See what I mean? Chocolat is a good punchline movie. It just sounds... It's one of those unwritten rules of comedy. I was just gonna ask where you guys are at with the are on the performances overall in this movie beyond Renee. I think Morgan. Um, I like Morgan Freeman. I think Freeman's fantastic. I think Chris Rock is probably out of his depth a little Mm -hmm. bit, and I really like the character actors in this movie. I think I mentioned Mm -hmm. Janie. It's it's one of those movies that you don't think of as being like the stacked cast, but like I think. Pruitt Taylor Vince and Crispin Glover make for a curiously kind of fun yeah. little pair of um, characters together. Were you guys clear on who Crispin Glover is in the movie? No. <laughs> I could not. What do you mean? Like, tell like what his, what his character. Maybe, maybe I, like, I didn't follow. Like, does, Pruitt Taylor yeah. Vince's friend? Or, like, I, I just didn't really understand who he was. I think they were trying to sell us on the idea of that it's this sort of like small town. So like the police chief and the uh, sort of muckraking reporter are 
you know, friends, because it's a small enough town where, like, that's the case, and everybody knows each other, they're friends with Betty, and I think it was trying to sell us this kind of small town existence that Betty was coming from. Um, But yeah, it's obviously, obviously any movie where Crispin Glover isn't playing, like, an escaped mental patient or whatever, it's very strange (laughs) to see him. Um, (laughs) Yes, he's always playing some type of cuckoo. I'm with you on on Morgan Freeman. I just think he is is wonderful in this. He would have made my my short list that year. I don't know if it would have been su- supporting or leading, but um, uh, basically agree with you about about Rock. But I I think Greg Kinnear is fantastic in this. I think it's kind of the perfect utilization of him. Um, he's just so charming and handsome and this like ideal of the, this this heartthrob actor, and then completely yeah. turns on a dime into being like a horrible verbally abusive prick um and i I love this well it's a performance it's a performance that sort of lures you in the audience into what betty sees in him and kind of like in a very kind of neil labute way pulls the rug out from under you and was just like you know jokes on you forever you know falling for this guy's charm and i love that he's kind of like getting off on this improv acting exercise that he thinks she's doing like he says yeah. something like, yes. I haven't felt yeah. like this since I was with Stella Adler in New York or some like pretentious thing <laughs> like that. Yeah. It's interesting to look at, I sort of brought up his filmography. He gets the Oscar nomination for as good as it gets in 97. And then is in, you've got mail as the, like, you know, the doomed, whatever, not Tom Hanks. <laughs> He's in mystery men. He's in what planet are you from? Which is the Mike Nichols movie. I have, one of the Mike Nichols movies I have not seen, and I'm sort of I say it's good. most afraid to. I say it's good. Yeah? Uh, I don't know how well it's All aged. Right. Um, Very morbidly wanting to watch that movie. <laughs> um, yeah, so all of a sudden his 2000 is What Planet Are You From? Nurse Betty. He's in Loser. He's the college right. professor who's dating Mina Suvari in, in Loser mm-hmm. that Jason Biggs is trying to sort of win her over. Amy Heckerling. And he's in The Gift, which is a movie that we've talked about on this podcast before. It's a kid. I even forget that movie. He was the killer in that movie, right? Pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's playing, like, some bad dudes in 2000. Like, he's really, I think, I think, Rob, you're right in that, like, he is, because his type for so many of those early films is handsome. Like, Sabrina. What's yeah. the Greg Kinnear role? It's just like, he's incredibly handsome, you guys. And it's just <laughs> like, yes. And and I think now is that on the trajectory that many very handsome actors do, which is how can I use this handsomeness to um, make me a villain? Which I mean, he was about to play Atticus Finch couple- on Broadway, but... but- that got oh, is that true? Yeah, he was um he was set to replace Ed Harris in To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, but um, oh oh I oh you mean now? Oh, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Before everything got shut down. Sad. Uh, at this time in Nurse Betty, he was two years from his big play for uh, Best Actor success, which was Autofocus, which I remember getting a ton of Oscar buzz fantastic in that. before anybody saw that movie. The Paul Schrader movie, yeah, where he plays. Yeah, he's good. Bob Crane, yeah. Defoe's not, really good in that movie too. Not too terribly surprising that he doesn't end up getting an Oscar nomination because I think that's a movie where Hollywood loves to mythologize itself, and this movie kind of like sticks a you know sticks a knife into the the guts yeah. of that kind of tendency. No one in Hollywood wants to so, see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right, Rob. I think Kinnear is really, really good in this movie. I think the whole cast is uh, generally pretty good. I think Elizabeth Mitchell playing, you know, the sort of um, semi-resentful soap actress. Like, I love all the times where she's just, like, giving you, like, really angry takes just because she's over it, like, whatever is happening. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, she's wonderful. Justice for Juliet from Lost. I think a lot of people are doing Lost Watch during quarantine. I think yesterday was was an anniversary of the finale huh. of Lost. And I think a lot of people are sort of, you know, delving into that show since we're all stuck at home. And just gives me another excuse to scream from the hilltops about how Juliet was the best character on that show. Best character on the show. Amazing. Like, the show improved when they introduced her and then they kill her. Yeah, that's true. Very sad. Can we talk about the National Board of Review special recognition lineup that Nurse Betty is a part of, which makes absolute sense that it is. Um, Is special recognition in this case just like we had more movies besides this top ten that we wanted to? Right. We want people to come to our dinner. So, (laughs) hello. We like this movie, too. Yeah. Fully very uh, stereotypical of them, but also... Most of these movies have been lost to time, or at least about a good half of them. The special recognition movies from National Board of Review, American Psycho, Best in Show, Chuck and oh, Buck. Yeah. They also gave their supporting actress to Lupe Antiveros. We love her. May she rest. Chuck and Buck was a really, uh, was kind of a presence in that awards season for a little while there. And kind of mm-hmm. a presence in yeah. my, my life at that time, which we probably shouldn't go into. Oh, yeah? You were a big Chuck and Buck fan? Yeah. It meant a lot of different things to me when I was 14. <laughs> um, sorry, continue, Chris. I should see it. That's, that sounds about right. Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, Karin Kusama's Girl Fight. We love yeah. Karin Kusama. Yeah. Um, the Hamlet starring Ethan Hawke. <laughs> Digital Hamlet. Techno- technological Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah, love it. Uh, Nurse Betty, obviously. Requiem for a Dream. Um, an Asian film about a bathhouse, but they're straight, called Shower. I'm shower. I'm in. <laughs> Sold. Uh, and it's also a movie about a bathhouse that is PG-13. Very interesting. <laughs> um, so it's basically straight spa night. Um Snatch, Guy Ritchie. Which Snatch. is weird because I don't think Sundance Snatch. Weird. I don't think Snatch comes out in the U.S. until the following January. I want to say I don't. I, maybe there's a qualifying run, but I don't even think of that as a 2000. I think movie. it got a. I think it got a qualifying run, but I think it definitely did not open in any real way in the United States until yeah yeah it did it opened in L.A. in December early December of 2000. Yeah. But yeah, then opens wide. Uh, more than a month. All right, my bad. And then the last one is Sundance winner Two Family House. Have you guys seen that movie? I've never it heard has of that. I have. Joe Jr. from While You Were Sleeping. Oh, right. Like Michael Who was also on The Sopranos. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I'm looking at that, and I think there's a few because uh, Catherine Narducci is also in this movie, and she was also on The Sopranos. Yeah, it's the sort of movie that would win Sundance in the year 2000. Um, and Vincent Pastore and Sharon Angela. Yeah, there's a lot of Sopranos cast members in this movie. I will not be surprised if the writer-director worked on The Sopranos. It's a sweet little movie, if I remember correctly. Yeah, NBR that year. Is that, did Quills win their Best Picture? Yes, Quills sure won That's Best insane. Picture. And it was it stayed the stat for forever that like if, you, if uh, 
National Board of Review says your best picture that it'll be a best picture nominee with Oscar. What broke that recently? That was the one that people always threw around to make National Board of Review more important than they are. I mean, Finding Neverland always jumps to mind, but that did get a Best Picture nomination. Um, it did, yeah. Doing research for this episode, I kind of got compelled. I want to watch Quills again just to see if that holds up as in any type of artifact. That was the movie at the time that I was like, this is great, this is fantastic, and I don't know if I could still endorse that. <laughs> okay, so National Board of Review... See oh, this would a be. most violent year one National Border Review in 2014. That's, uh, yes. that's really interesting. That's yeah. the one. That's the one that broke it? Yeah, though it makes I think sense. So. Most recently, yeah. yeah. Good old NBR. What was the what was the nominee? What was the top ten movie this year that really stood out? I guess Richard Jewell. And Waves. They were the last one off of the Waves train. Yeah. Oh, I remember Waves. <laughs> it does feel like waves happened eight billion years ago. That one day in Toronto where all of a sudden waves was going to happen and then it didn't. And that, like by the time I saw it, which was late in Toronto, oh, it yeah. was already not going to happen. That was a movie where different screenings of waves were like there was the screening of waves where everybody liked it. And then there was the screening of waves where everybody hated it. And I was just like, this has like been a day. Like I like the buzz on that movie moved so quickly. It was really interesting. Anything Wait. else we want to talk about with nurse Betty? Um, there must be, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> uh, well, okay. I, Something I, I read, which I don't know if it's true is that this is Morgan Freeman's first on-screen kiss. Wow. Interesting. That's super fascinating and probably uh, an indictment of Hollywood in terms of just like the kinds of uh, the kinds of roles that the let black actors sure. play. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Freeman's fantastic in this. I absolutely had him on. I remember having him on my supporting actor ballot that year. And now I'm going to torture you all by bringing up my <laughs> ballot that year <laughs> Give me i would categorize him as a lead though yeah it's pretty borderline i probably should have back at the time but i think even uh for the the very few instances of precursor attention that he got i think they were in supporting he got a mm. it's not satellite really a, nomination supporting actor year he is top I guess not. yeah he does get top billing above renee that is that's some good uh, that's some good agenting. I feel like when the movie is called Nurse yeah. Betty and you get top billing and you are not playing Morgan Nurse Freeman Betty, that's is really Nurse Betty. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Freeman gets a Black Reel nomination as a Best Actor and then a Satellite nomination as Supporting Actor and NAACP Image Award nomination as a Supporting Actor. So two out of three. I'm gonna go with uh, the consensus on that. Oh, and just I was wondering if this movie works emotionally uh for you guys particularly in this parallel you know these two people captive to their uh romantic idealism like the the morgan freeman and renee selegra sort of mirror characters and then the the revelation literally five minutes before the movie's over uh that uh rock and freeman are father and son does that stuff work that for you guys? was i'm not sure why that was held 
till so late in the movie for us as yeah. almost like a gotcha. I'm not sure that was as effective as they wanted it to be. Beyond oh. the performances, very little in this movie kind of works for me. Like, I think the movie's fine, but like emotionally, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Like, not moving the needle at all. Guys, I had some interesting supporting actor movies <laughs> that year. So when Play it, it gets, us, we when hear. it gets this far back, I will say that like these probably have not been tinkered with very much in the intervening years. So like this was pretty close to probably what I thought at the time. Um, nominees that were also Oscar nominees were Benicio del Toro and Albert Finney, Finney for uh, Aaron mm-hmm. Brockovich. My number one that year, which I kind of do stand by because I do think it's a performance that's more than meets the eye, is Billy Crudup in Almost Famous. I think he's fantastic. It's a good one. In that movie. Um, I think he should have been nominated twice that year because he's in Jesus' Son also that year. And he's really, really good at that. Although that's a movie that I have not seen since then. So I don't know. Maybe that would play differently for me now. Freeman for Nurse Betty. And then my final slot was a kind of a toss-up. I think I had six as nominees because I was chaotic back then and thought I could make my own rules. Um, Gary Oldman for The Contender, who I maybe oh, don't nominate this year. Really? Um, I think that's a lead. I would say Jeff Bridges. Well, Bridges the got support. the Oscar nomination. And he's fucking great. Did Oldman I get the Oldman's fag? the classics. He got I'm pretty something. sure he was campaigned in lead, but this is when we all still accepted that he was an asshole. And he also was um, campaigning against the movie? Yeah, I, I think I, so. I think that I do think that was a thing. I think that was definitely back in the era where people thought he was never getting nominated because too many people didn't like him. Right. He, um, he said his character was uh, year, framed as a villain without his uh, his say-so. Or, or he saw the movie and was surprised Jesus at like the, the way that his character was Did framed. Did you read the script? I was going to say... <laughs> Um, but my other one I had that year was Robert Downey Jr. in Wonder Boys. Oh, who yeah. Is really good in that movie. Who else? Oh, you know who was a contender that year that um, probably finished in like the top eight of Oscar voting, but probably never quite had a shot was Bruce Greenwood in 13 Days. I remember oh, yeah. a lot of people really liked yeah. Bruce Greenwood in 13 Days. 13 Days would be interesting to do an episode on. Um, it's interesting that Almost Famous got the two supporting actress nominations when like there's a ton of action on the supporting actor side as well crude up but also philip seymour hoffman which is like could not have mm-hmm. been a more like spotlight supporting actor role where he shows up for like three scenes is the best thing on screen going for like those three scenes and then just sort of like goes away again he was still in yeah, that period definitely the one that was discussed the most for the yeah. male ensemble members for a nomination his greatness was kind of being taken for granted still at that point wasn't it Right. Well, that was during his era where it was just like, what the fuck does Philip Seymour Hoffman have to do to get an Oscar nomination? This is post Magnolia. Wasn't his wasn't the Magnolia year one of those years where he had like three or four different performances? Yeah, he's in like because he's in Ripley. He's in Magnolia. He's just so good in everything. It's funny to think of that before Capote, he like that was his narrative was just sort of like best actor to never get a nomination because for whatever reason. Oh, 1999 was 1999 was also a uh, flawless, which didn't he get a SAG yeah, nomination flawless. for? Right. I think he uh-huh. did. I think you're right. What a weird yeah. movie. Yeah, we'll end up doing that on the show at some point. Directed by Joel Schumacher. <laughs> yes, naturally. I think of the names that you did not mention that I would throw on my list, may he rest Fred Willard for Best in Show. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was definitely one who I remember there was a lot of 
if not actual like awards momentum, there was a lot of people who were writing about the Oscars being like, should get nominated Fred Willard for. No, he show. he definitely he he got some things. Maybe another national. Did he? he got some critics prizes. I think maybe National okay. Society of Film Critics, and I think he was a finalist for New York and L.A. Film Critics. Um, yeah, he was a finalist for National Society of Film Critics. That's fantastic. Good, good for them. That's a movie I I should probably watch soon if just you know for the fred willard of it all but just because i should never really go too long without seeing that movie he's really yeah yeah he won boston society of film critics that's a that's that's a really good one i love the boston society of film critics they're always they're always just independent enough where it's not like you don't feel like they're just being showy for showy sake but uh Mm -hmm. but they'll have some independent thought i like that yeah fantastic nurse betty should we move on to the imdb (laughs) game i think we should all right, Joe, explain the IMDb game to our listeners. Sure. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television or voiceover work, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles, release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Rob, we uh, asked you to come prepared with an IMDb uh, challenge for one of us. Would you like to challenge me or Chris? Oh, uh, that's tough. Um, I'm going to challenge Chris. All right. Okay. So you will challenge Chris. Chris will challenge me, and I will challenge you. Exciting. Okay, so this is an actor who actually came up in our conversation earlier, um, who starred in Your Friends and Neighbors, uh, written and directed by Neil Butte, Jason Patrick. Jason... Patrick. Can I tell you something okay. really funny? Rob, this was also who I had earmarked uh, to give you. I have, so I have a backup. I can go. So now while you guys are doing this, I'm going to go uh, find my backup. Okay. Uh, I sense that, Joe, you might have to help me with Jason Patrick, but we will get there. Yeah, there's some um, doozies on this one. I'll say that. <laughs> it's not that hard. Okay. So there's a lot of stuff in the 90s problem about jason patrick is he's so like tough to distinguish on screen because he always looks the same i i know sleepers has to be there it sure is sleepers i sleepers was the one i think i thought you'd have uh, a real hard time with so good job okay um the lost boys yep okay um trying to think of some of these 90s movies Maybe they're all just sleepers. Um, <laughs> there's no TV, right? Wasn't he on a TV show? Didn't he play a doctor or some? Uh, he thing? he did play a doctor yeah. on Wayward Pines, but that is not one of them. Wayward okay. Pines! Oh my god, amazing! Um, wait, this movie has shown up before. I'm pretty sure it showed up for Ray Liotta. Is Narc on there? It is not. It should be. It's a good trying to think of movies that he is on the poster for. Um, It's a good guess. Why can't I remember any Jason? Is your friend? I'll just say your friends and neighbors. Throw it out there. Yes. No. No. Okay. Well, that's my two wrong guesses. What are my years? Your years are 1997 and 2010. 2010. He's still working. Well, I guess that was a decade ago. I will say Um, the 2010 one. I would never get ever. Yeah, 2010 is the sticking point. That's for sure. Wow. Yeah, but I have hints. Um. Okay, so 97, few years before what we're talking about. 
and it's not your friends and neighbors. Uh, I, I would uh, say Joe, uh, probably technically the biggest movie he's ever been in, right? Yes. Although not necessarily a great thing. But yes. <laughs> oh, so it's a bad movie. De- debatable. Really? Um, <laughs> I would love to have that debate with you. <laughs> okay, so uh, probably bad, like seen as a bad movie. Seen as a failure. And, and a bad seen movie. as a failure it's a big movie a, is it actually big or is it just big by jason patrick it's standard? it's a no, it's, big. it's a big budget of uh, event movie it was a big summer movie when it opened yes. oh okay um and very likely a big undertaking to make it as well why am i just thinking of the godzilla movie that he's not in i'm trying to think of late 90s big summer movies that are bad <laughs> the director oh my god no wait it's speed two Uh, i need the full title please (laughs) speed two colon cruise control yes (laughs) the best part of that movie is the subtitle of that movie yes i was looking forward to um to giving the tagline but it's okay wait what is Uh, the tagline rush hour hits the water <laughs> Stupid! Oh, sorry, I just probably blew out my mic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Amazing. Okay, 2010. Damn, maybe I'm gonna go watch Speed Two today. Um, okay, so 2010. Neither of you seem to think that it would have been there. I'm gonna guess that I don't know that he's in this movie. I've seen it. I didn't remember that he was in it. Okay. Um. Wow. It's uh, one of those movies that it's just like, oh, it's an ensemble full of junk. Like, which is not necessarily to say that everybody who's in it is bad, but it's just like there's some this good ensemble in it, yeah. makes. Is it makes like no smoke and aces? Uh, you're it, no, but uh, that's it, the ballpark. It, yeah, sure. not not totally okay. far off. It, it's based on a uh, comic book series that you've never heard of. Ah, uh, I'm making assumptions. I'm guessing there. the comic book thing is not going to get me there. It's. Wow. Okay, so what are movies that are like Smoke and Aces? Um, it's not going to be like a Robert Rodriguez movie. No. Again, you're in you're in the ballpark. You're in the ballpark for type of movie. You're circling okay. the parking lot of the type of movie that this is. I wonder if I have even seen this. I'm going to guess no. Not. I would be. I would be shocked if you saw it. Can I give you the oh, two others? It's like when Joe oh, yeah. gave me Joan Allen and I got Death Race 2000. <laughs> is it Death Race 2000? It is not. Um, no, I can give you the, the two... writing credits. Yeah. The writing credits on this movie are insane. Yes, they it's are. It's two people I would have never assumed would have worked together, one of whom wrote um, two movies we have covered on this at Oscar Buzz. Interesting. And Directed one of them, wrote both of them. And the director of this movie... I... Is it James Vanderbilt? He is one of them. Yes. One of the writers. I'm still not going to get it. <laughs> the other um, writer is a writer who uh, who only seems to work with Mark Wahlberg these days. <laughs> Peter Berg. Yes. Yes. And the di- Not going to help. And the director directed no, uh, really Stomp, the, Stomp the Yard and Slender Man. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a fan of both. <laughs> oh, I think the star um, of Stomp the Yard is in is in this particular movie. Yes, I never saw Stomp the Yard. It's... Y'all, I am not anywhere close. Yeah. Well, you're probably not going to be a winner on this round of. Um, I IMDb hate to game. give up. 
So if you're not going to be a winner on this, what are you going to be? A failure? Can I give you a couple a cast members? Would that help at all? Zoe Saldana, a... Chris Evans, Idris Elba. <laughs> it's not Smoking Aces. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, yeah. Wow. Yeah, not a winner, but a... A loser? Is it yeah. called Loser? It's called, it's called The Losers. The Losers, yeah. The Losers. Great. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that I don't know what it is. Amazing. I mean, it's it's what you think it is. It's smoking. It's smoke and aces. The other one, sure. A sure. CIA special forces team are betrayed and left for dead by their superiors, galvanizing them to mount an offensive on the CIA. It's kind of the A team, but like yeah, with women. Well, with Zoe Saldana. Rob, you stumped me. Yay! Love it. All right, so Joseph, for yes. you, I went the Neil LeBute route. One of the movies we talked about is. The Shape of Things, who is the supporting actress in that movie, as we mentioned, Gretchen Maul. Oh, boy. There is one television show. Okay, so uh, Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire. All right. Um, The Notorious Betty Page. Notorious Betty Page, one of her few starring roles. Okay. Rounders. No, Rounders is not... There. Makes God, no with sense. That vanity that Fair cover for for all for not. That's crazy. Okay, Gretchen Mall. One wrong guess. Two. I'd be shocked if the shape of things is one of them. But you do do that to me a lot. <laughs> I think you read into that more than it is a thing. <laughs> I've never intentionally done so. Right. Okay. Um, Miss Gretchen. What else has Miss Gretchen been in? Oh, she's such a small role in this movie, but it was a big success. So I will say Manchester by the Sea. No, not Manchester by the Sea. She plays the, she plays, uh, Lukey Hedges' mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, and no, she's got so this like cuck of a husband too, and I can't remember who it is. Matthew Broderick. Yeah, it's Matthew Broderick. <laughs> right, because it's Lonergan. Right, 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 right. Yeah, right, right, right. He only plays um, cucks. So you're obviously, I used the term. I was going to say, I obviously I used the term cuck ironically because uh, people who don't use it ironically are bad. Okay, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, your years are 1999 and 2007. 1999. So 99 is right after Rounders, so she's still sort of the uh, the hot property a little bit. And then what's the other year? 2007. Oh. I know movies from 2007. <laughs> okay. Um, 99. 99. So, like, she makes Rounders... She didn't really make like a critically acclaimed role until Betty Page. So it's probably something like commercial. But she was never in like an action blockbuster movie. Not a blockbuster. You are in the right neighborhood with the genre. It's also an Oscar nominee. It's also an Oscar nominee. Huh? You're talking about the 2007 one. 
Yes. Oh, I'm on 99. Okay. Oh, sorry. 99. 99 is more of like a genre movie. It is fully forgotten now, but it, it at the time was definitely seen as bad. If I may chime in on that one, there was a movie with a pretty similar premise out around the same time from a more substantial, yes. from a more notable director. Oh. And it's commercial like comedy commercial or like sci-fi horror commercial sci-fi horror genre okay it was a summer release that bombed oh oh she's in um is it um house on haunted hill she in that no no I don't know if she's in that, but I should. She might not be. I'm trying House to think. On a hill kind of rules. <laughs> oh, um, is it uh, 13 Ghosts? Not 13 Ghosts. 13 something else? <laughs> what are, is 13 Ghosts a movie, though, or did I just make that it, up? It is 13 a movie. 13 Ghosts is a movie. Okay. It is also one of the Dark Castle movies, like House okay. on Haunted Hill was. But okay. Which she okay. is not in, by the way. She's not in either one of those. You do have the number correct. Thirteenth <laughs> floor. Thirteenth. Yeah. Thirteenth floor. What is that movie about? Uh, it's about a computer scientist running a virtual reality simulation of 1937, who becomes the primary suspect when his colleague and mentor is murdered. So is that sort of Dark City esque? Is that what you're trying to? Uh, I was. I was to? thinking more Existence. Oh, Existence! Yeah. A great movie. I love Existence. All right, so the 2007 movie you said is an Oscar nominee. Yes, it is an Oscar nominee. Also, very um, specific genre. A this movie's come up on genre. other IMDb games, I am positive. Because this is also a movie that, like, you don't real You know who the two stars of the movie are, but, like, you don't realize there's, like, other famous actors <laughs> in it if until, like, uh, oh. I, I personally didn't remember there like were women that. in it. Yeah. Oh, it's a She's very definitely male a wife. Oh, is it a western? Yes. Is it three ten to Yuma? It is three ten to Yuma. I liked that movie, but yeah, not a very uh, not very many women in that movie. She's what? She's got to be his wife. Is it Christian sure, Bale? Probably. Is it Christian Bale in that movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, his wife. Logan Lerman's uh, mom? Sure. Right? Sure. Isn't that the Logan deal? Lerman's in that movie. Ben Foster's in that movie. Peter Fonda is in this movie. Right. It's Christian Bale and Logan Lerman is his son. And now Russell Crowe is the villain. Or villain? Yeah. No. She's, she's yes. Well, isn't he like the prisoner? Right. They have to. Ben uh, Foster is the villain. And isn't like Ben Foster so good in that movie? I love Ben Foster in that movie so much. Yeah, this ben cast Foster, is amazing. Like only continued to play that character. Uh, so good though. Love him. Yeah, she's got to be his uh, his wife because her name is the same. Is her last name the same? Anyway, that was good. All right, so I have uh, for Rob. I have a backup. Also, uh, someone who was in a Neil Labute movie. This person was in Death at a Funeral. And it is uh, Peter Dinklage. So, Rob. Oh, fantastic. Peter Dinklage, obviously one of which is television. Right. Okay. So, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, 
Is Elf one? No, although I would have 100% guessed Elf. Um, the station agent? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I was considering Bobby Cannavale oh. for, for one of mine earlier, and yeah, I was surprised that was in nice. his. So, um, yeah. Uh, oh, man. I'm looking at this now. Um, this known for is very unwell. <laughs> Isn't he in um, an Avengers movie? Um, uh, 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 yes, Infinity, he's in, uh, Infinity he's War? In, he's in Infinity War, but it's not that. But yes, he is in okay. Infinity War. Um, so what are my years? Fully forgot he's in. Oh yeah, your years are 2014 and 2017. 2017. Oh, really? Um, three billboards, right? (laughs) Yes, three billboards. Weird. Yeah, I'm very surprised that that made his known for. Um, I'm I'm gonna need some sort of hint on uh okay so you were on the, you're definitely speaking of uh guesses that are in the right ballpark you are absolutely in the right genre ballpark when you went with infinity war okay uh, not not the mcu but like what's another vast superhero universe in film a vast superhero universe that isn't marvel um right it's marvel yeah, oh yeah it is marvel MCU. but it's not the mcu oh Oh, um, uh, X-Men, uh, something, something. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you remember which one? Oh, I, I, um, it, it, it is one that, um, that Brian Singer directed, right? Yes. Yeah, it's when he, I think it's the last one one that Brian Singer directed. (gasps) Uh, Days of Future Past. It's Days of Future Past, yes. Yeah, that movie, which I remember liking, but I also like don't remember what, if anything, specifically I liked about it. So that was the Oscar one that sort nominee. of like. Well, I also I do love a movie that will just like it's the Fast Five concept of just like we're gonna bring the whole band together, just like everybody yeah. from both of those X Men timelines got brought in together, and I was like, okay, this is fun. Anyway, very good, well done, Rob. On Interesting. That. I really do wish I had uh, been able to see how you would have done on Jason Patrick and whether you would yeah. have gotten the, lose- the losers. <laughs> My backup, by the way, was Allison Pill. Just FYI. Oh, um, don't even tell me who's was who's there because uh, I want to. I want to keep. Her I in think my back I've looked her up one. before. Okay. Yeah. Thirteen for IMDb, for and it is Mall. interesting indeed. All right, but Excellent. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. This thank was you. so much fun. Thank Tons you. I had so much fun. We love having your encyclopedic knowledge on here and giving us an excuse to talk about Nurse Betty, which is a really interesting artifact that feels 20 years old. That, Chris, even though you're not a fan, <laughs> you would recommend people see it, right? Or seek it out or no? Uh, I mean, definitely for Morgan Freeman and for Renee Zellweger. Sure. Okay, I'll take it. And you should absolutely watch her uh, winning Globe speech, listeners. It's lovely. And a million years long. People who were complaining about her acceptance speech at the Oscars this year being too long, watch this Globe speech. It's forever. She, this is also the Globes where she was in the bathroom when she won. Oh, right. And like she, she had to oh, charge up Oh, an underrated she, bathroom one. Yeah, she pulled a Christine Lottie. Christine Lottie gets yeah. all the attention. Yeah. Yes. How uh, soon into the speech does she... Speech. Does she thank John Carabino? Because that is the constant yes. in her. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yes. That's a yes. super cut I would make is all of Renee Zellweger thanking John Carabino. <laughs> and having everybody who be like, who? And I, me having to remind them that like, yes. Anyway. This was three yes. years that was, after. That was the Lonnie. award season comeback. I was, what's that? I was saying this was three years after after the Lottie bathroom situation. Uh, the best. The absolute best. Robin Williams comes up to vamp. It's a whole thing. It's really fantastic. <laughs> But that, I think, is our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Rob, tell our listeners where they can find more of you if you wish to be found. Uh, I, I guess on, on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Clooney Disciple. Your handle Fantastic. is at Clooney Disciple, and your name is Rob Plainview. And so many people have like i've encountered so many people who think that is your actual last name which i think is very funny and most people think it's a there will be blood reference but it's actually the name of the town i grew up in that's a lie you're lying that that is true jeez (laughs) i thought for once i was going to not be pulled in by one of your very very dry uh jokes but apparently well done plain view yeah long island cool all right and joseph tell our lovely listeners where they can find more of you uh, you can find me at Eli Sunday on uh, on Twitter. No, I'm uh, at <laughs> Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R E I D. I am on Letterboxd, also uh, spelled Joe Reed R E I D. All right, and you can find me on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Kevin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So please um, uh, don't scalp us, but uh, stan our medical show, um, our soap, whatever. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Hooray.